0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Got a great friend on with me today, Jordan Hassler from SCIF and, uh, Getting to know Jordan over the last couple of years has been a, a great experience because he he does have a uh, very important role in what he does at SCI and SCIF, but extremely humble, down to earth, and a uh, great family guy, which I think is why we get along so well. Jordan, how are you doing today?
2: I'm well. Thanks for the intro, Mike. Those are <laughs> Mark. Those are so we are we know each other great.
1: We know each other great. Jordan calls me Mike as a. As a <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> that's the first time oh, I've started sorry. one off, Jordan, where somebody's called me the wrong name.
2: <laughs> I do not even know what I was thinking. Oh,
1: no, oh, that's good. So Jordan spends a, a a ton of time on the on the phone and traveling all over as part of his job, which which we'll get into. But I, I kind of like on on the podcast just to get so everybody listening can get to know you before we really dig into the the work stuff or what you do in the industry. So how How long have you been hunting and fishing in the outdoors? When did you get started
2: it's a that's a hard question for me to answer i uh was raised by a father that was passionate uh, about the outdoors, and I think that from as early as I can remember, we were fishing and hunting. He was packing me along and and must have been incredibly patient because I look back now and think how hard that would have been
1: it. It definitely is a little challenging with kids. Well, you've got young kids. How is it when you get them outdoors?
2: It's torture sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the greatest thing in the entire world, but you feel like the, the questions will never end sometimes.
1: And do you, do you often think back of, hey, when I was little, how many questions did I ask dad? I, and then, and I, then you get this, like, I remember very, very distinctly of my dad saying, we just need to be quiet now. which which was dad's way of saying, I don't want to answer any more questions. We just need to be quiet now.
2: Totally. I, I, I look back at that and I remember being mad when my dad would say, Hey, we're time out on the questions. And I find myself doing the exact same thing now.
1: (laughs) That's too funny. So how old are your kids?
2: So I have got a 12, a 10 and an eight year old boy. So this, my 12 year old is going to be hunting deer and elk in Wyoming for the first time this year. And is as jacked about it as possible
1: so wyoming is a is a age of 12 and you guys moved to wyoming what two years ago now
2: exactly yeah, yep two, two years, years ago in november
1: and moved from utah correct
2: yep i what, was born and raised there
1: born and raised in utah and moved to wyoming what was the move what what drove you to move
2: oh it's uh, there was a couple of things but um i grew up in a town of seven thousand in utah and that had stayed in that town my whole life and and suddenly that town is now 70,000 and we wanted a place that my boys could be raised the same way that I was and and have hard work that that they were accomplishing and and the ability to run wild and do crazy stuff and Wyoming was the home that that you needed for that yeah, they kind of let you get away with some of that crazy stuff, and there's no shortage of work here.
1: No, that's awesome. And it has been a great move, it
2: looks like. Oh, we've loved it. Yep. Hey,
3: everybody. Month of October, tag season still rolling along here. We've got three deadlines you got to make sure to check out. October 5th, the state of Utah has their mountain lion deadline. Arizona on October 11th for spring bison and spring turkey and October 31st and in the end in the month here Wyoming has their point only so make sure to get applied for that one
1: so and Jordan with with what he does for a living has had uh, been very fortunate in being able to travel and have lots of experiences in the field what's your what's your favorite hunting or fishing memory so far
2: Whew, that is a tough one. No question. I, I think that my job has allowed me to, to see some pretty amazing places. I, uh, I think if I had to give it all up and only do one thing, it would be to pursue mountain lions with hounds. We have our own uh, pack of dogs, and, and we've done that for years. Um, and I think that my greatest memories are just, you know, my little kids getting to see their first mountain lion at a very, very young age. We were very passionate about that.
1: So how did, how did you get into having hounds and and chasing cats?
2: It's a wild deal. So once upon a time I did one of those two year Mormon mission deals. And, uh, it was like the last couple of days I was in Oregon and one of the guys in the area took me out with his pack of dogs and, uh, I, like it was, I, I'd always had bird dogs as a kid and, and I've loved watching dogs, whatever, if it was a great cow dog or whatever it was, I'd, I'd love that. But there was something so unique about hounds that it just grabbed a hold. And mm-hmm. it's been, I, I jokingly say that heroin would be cheaper and less <laughs> addictive for me.
1: That's <laughs> so. probably both true statements. So how many hounds do you have? <laughs>
2: Right now we've got six adults and we've got a litter of eight puppies that we're going to kind of weed through and end up keeping two of those. So we try to usually have around eight. Oh, so not much going on over there at all then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. So I knew you, I knew you used to do um, cat hunts in Utah. Where are you doing cat hunts now?
2: Uh, you know, if I can pick and choose, I'm licensed as a guide in Nevada. Um, I, uh, Nevada to me is just a a really neat state. I can go out and and hunt Nevada for seven days, eight days, and never see another person. So that's kind of the the place for me if I can choose.
1: And is that what makes it the draw for you? Just because you can go out there and you don't run in you don't run into anybody else?
2: Yeah, I think that you know the mountain lion game in the you know fifteen sixteen years now that I've been pursuing mountain lions with hounds is changed an awful lot you know the the places where in utah especially where there's a few mountain lions you got to be up at two in the morning and and checking roads before hoping to beat the other houndsmen and uh you know so i can go out to nevada and and hunt in the springtime when there's no snow on the ground and you can go really 10 days and not see a single person except for the odd rancher that might be out and about.
1: So where you're hunting in Nevada, when you do that, is it snow or is it dry ground?
2: I, you know, you you may get a little bit of snow here and there, but I try to go once the snow is melted off. I, I love that dry ground stuff.
1: And I assume hunting from horses or how are you, are you using UTVs when you're down there?
2: Yeah, both, you know, at at home here in wyoming and we still drive into to utah all the time we're going to hunt almost exclusive as a family we'll hunt almost exclusively horseback if we're taking you know a client out hunting it'll be a mix of the two we'll use atvs utvs and horses and your legs an awful lot too a heck of a lot of the legs
1: that's that's awesome and it's such Like if you, any, any houndsman I've ever talked to, there's never anybody that's like on the fence. It's a full on like, nope. this is, this is what I do. I love it. This is my lifestyle. And every day I am involved with my hounds one way or the other.
2: Yeah. They're, we love them. They're part of the family. You know, this last year we had to put down the dog that we've had forever. It, It was like the end of the world at my house. It seemed like, so they're, Next to the kids and and my wife, they're a pretty important parts. No, oh, that's
1: awesome. And your wife is is fully on board for for having the hounds.
2: Oh, she's in the process of getting licensed as a guide herself in Nevada. She takes the dogs out by herself when I can't sneak out. She loves it. Oh, that's awesome.
1: All right, so moving on here. No one again with with your work, you've tra- you've traveled some some interesting spots. What's what's the favorite spot that you've traveled to and, and been able to hunt?
2: You know, Africa, I think for me, is just a place that um, I love being in Africa, period. I think that the adventure of of being in that area, the way that you step back in time, you know, I, I think that there's something pretty phenomenal about that. Um, I think that I got to see Tanzania three or four years ago and I just don't know how you compare, you know, these wild, wild, wild places. And and it's interesting, you know, I talk about how Nevada appeals to me so much because I can go out there and never see a soul. Africa really does the same thing for me. If even if I'm just along as as a buddy in Africa and I'm not pulling the trigger, I find africa to be just this this mecca that i wish that um you know i've got these buddies that are diehard mule deer and elk western big game hunters and they they say to me oh africa sounds like it's stupid and i just wish that they could go and see it one time just because i think it would change there too
1: just to experience it once your feet hit that dirt there's something that changes inside of you for sure yep so, what's the craziest spot that you've traveled to or been on a hunt? Oof. And I think I know your answer, so that's that's why I'm I'm waiting to see here.
2: It's a toss-up right now between Chad. I went to Chad this last March, and we'll have to catch up about that sometime. That that I ended up having to get Global Rescue, and oh. it, that was a very wild experience. Um, but Myanmar at the end of the day was was the wildest. I think
1: that's what, that's what I had on. And I thought it was in Bumir Mar.
2: Yeah, it so, was wild.
1: So for everybody, what, what were you there hunting or were, you're were a part of being of a group that was there hunting? What were you hunting when you were there?
2: Yeah, I, as, as part of my job, I've gotten to, to know and, and love Gerald Warnock, Dr. Jerry Warnock and, uh, He is, at the time, he would have been 84 or 85 when we went to Myanmar. He's just seen everything and done everything. And so he's kind of looking for these these new, crazy adventures. So we were some of the first uh, American hunters to go back into Myanmar, I think, in like 50 years. And we were pursuing uh, Gyal, which is essentially a giant, wild bull, incredibly incredibly big animal um and we were also hunting the the water buffalo that they have there okay
1: and were you successful
2: yeah i think it was like part of what made that so crazy is we couldn't take firearms into the country and so uh we had to use a single shot 12 gauge shotgun that they had we brought in some lead slugs and you had to cut off the top of these shotgun shells that they had that was you know, crummy birdshot loads. You'd cut the top of them off and dump all the BBs out and slide the, the slug in there, and then we had to melt wax over the top of it to hold it in. What? It was just this crazy, crazy scenario that you're like, is this gun going to explode on us? That's insane. It was wild. So how many days were you there for? We were there hunting. We were in country for 10 we probably hunted for about seven of those 10 days.
1: At any point there, did you feel unsafe?
2: You know, we were coming in just as that civil war was kind of wrapping up, and we were over in that part of the country. And I felt incredibly safe the entire time when we were leaving. Uh, the military was driving these giant transports of, uh, I would get bet, 50 sh- soldiers on each of these transports and there was i think i counted like 115 of them that drove past us and we had to pull over and divert our eyes you couldn't look at them. It. it was just that that felt a little intimidating gotcha
1: how, like i always get fascinated with with locations like this of how all the work that it takes to get it set up because it's not you're not going to Arkansas duck hunting, you're not going mule deer hunting in, in Utah or Wyoming like there's nobody that's established there. What, like what was the person that you were with in country like the, your host who who was it? Was it somebody that hunts all the time what, like who, who was that person?
2: No, it was crazy. It was actually a native kid um, that they had I'm trying to remember exactly they'd flown a South African professional hunter in that had gone out and spent, you know, a month ahead of time. Found this local kid, organized the paperwork, which that was a, a total, like, crazy oh, yeah. thing in and of itself. Just the paperwork and you know every official that you would see that would ask to see the paperwork had never seen anything like it. So they, the whole thing was really wild. But this local kid just picked us up, and I think. If I remember right, when I, from the time I left camp to come home to the time that I stepped in my door was like 80 hours straight of travel. Wow. What so did, your wife,
1: was, uh, did your wife say when you, when
2: you dropped this bomb that you were heading over there? <laughs> you know, my wife is fairly used to, to me saying yes to anything crazy. I, I'm a, an addict of, of these types of things. So I, years before that, she'd made me, I think, triple my life insurance policy. <laughs> so now she's but, kicking
1: you out the door anytime. She's like, yup, yep, yeah, exactly. get out. Exactly.
2: She, she wants me to take every risk I possibly can. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that
1: is one. I, I just remember you telling me after that trip, and I'm, I, I hear a lot of crazy things in what I do. And that that was one that afterwards, like I had my head just shaking going, yeah, yeah that's crazy. That That is an insane one.
2: It was really
1: wild, and was it just you and Gerald that went? There was nobody yep, no
2: it was, was just a- the two of us on that one. That is so insane, that yeah, so it insane. was and the like it was just a neat thing because you know you think about Myanmar and you imagine these rice fields uh-huh. and, and it that's what it was, you know it, when we got to the airport and we're driving through the country to the the area, but we just climbed up. I, I wish I had it written down, and I'm embarrassed that I don't but I think we ended up at like 8,000 feet in elevation where we were hunting. it was just this incredibly dense bamboo forest, green, lush, beautiful. And the, the local, I think the local people is half of what made that trip so neat was that they'd carved out these little itty bitty gardens on the side of this mountain. All of their homes you know, were on stilts hanging out over the edge of the mountain. It was wild.
1: And is that where you, when you were there, is that the type of stuff you stayed in, obviously, right?
2: Yeah. Yep. And just a, a couple of, the, I don't know how Jer, Dr. Warnock does it because, you know, he, it's not like he's a young guy and you're sleeping on a few blankets that they've laid on top of the bamboo. I struggled uh-huh. to get enough sleep it. And it was freezing. I'd, I'd come very ill-prepared. I anticipated it being warm and hot. And we were up high and, it, you know, the, there'd be ice on on top of the drinking water in the morning
1: i'd never expect that either where you're going you never expect to be cold there yeah it was really wild that's insane so as you what what's the hunt that you haven't gone on or haven't been part of that you would look at as saying this is this is
2: what i would consider my dream hunt um again i think it kind of ties back to hunting mountain lions and and part of what i love about hunting mountain lions in the dirt is that you've got to really learn to read sign Mm -hmm. and so you know as i hear the stories of guys hunting lord derby eland and cameroon or car um i would do backflips to be able to go go do one of those hunts jun- or even just kind of witness someone doing one of those hunts
1: in the jungle just check and sign and only being able to see 15 feet in front of you
2: yep yeah i think it'd be really cool
1: so do you have any trips planned this year
2: you know i have got um we've got an africa trip we uh Ash and I are going to take all three boys. We made a deal with them. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for it still. (laughs) But we made a deal that if they would quit all screen time for a year, we'd take them. And we are well on our way to that year mark. So we're going to do that. I don't have any set-in-stone crazy trips. I I may end up in Zimbabwe with a buddy in... uh, I think March is when he's looking at going to Zim with Guav, so.
1: That's actually awesome. Going back to your your deal, bring all three boys there if they're off all screens for a year. Yeah. TV, phone, any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, we'll still, as a family, every once in a while, watch a movie, but all screens, you know, they've got their computers that they're doing stuff at school. school. Yep. Or if they have school work at home, fine. But other than that, that's great. We're off of them. It's no. been good. No, that's great. I, we've got a guy there that's. I think we'll just go do like warthogs and some, you know, little stuff with the boys jackals. But just to give them a chance to see it.
1: To see it is, see it and get a little bit of trigger time is is perfect.
2: That's a yep. that's a great trade.
1: Great trade. So let's go over. At, so you work for SCIF. For listeners that that what that don't know the difference, what is the difference between SCI and SCIF?
2: Yep. So SCIF is just SCI Foundation. Um, really, you know, the, there's two separate entities. Uh, we work hand in hand together. The foundation, was born, you know, one we have a 501c3 status and for listeners that don't know what that means essentially it just gives the foundation the ability to raise money where the donor can use it as a write-off against their taxes Mm -hmm. where sci is a 501c4 501c4 correct yeah and uh you know so they're going to be doing all of the law being to protect hunters rights and some people don't know you know if you make a donation to support that you cannot use that as a Mm write-off and so the foundation is doing humanitarian work primarily conservation and education is our our real core focuses
1: okay that's that's great because i I have to say like i get that question a lot what's the difference between sci scif which one does each work on? It really comes down to SCI is is the one that works on the lobbying for hunter's rights is where it totally. comes and, and no money that is raised for that can be a, a tax deduction. Um, doesn't matter if it's for hunting rights or any, any group that has a lobbyist that is trying to impact laws and so forth. You can't donate money to any of those groups and, and have it be a, a tax write off before yep. you, before you came to SCIF, what, what was your past work experiences? What did you do before you got into the industry?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, as cowboy as it gets. I, I love horses and, and livestock a lot. And somehow, you know, after the, the crash of 07, I found myself working for tech startups. Really? And I spent eight years working for tech startups, yeah. I would not have guessed that in a million years. Yeah. Uh, Here, I know it. Here's the the thing is I use tech in my life. I am not passionate about tech. I don't understand a a ton of tech. Um, But I found this niche within the tech industry where I was great at developing relationships and really good at seeing who potential partners that could sell our product or our tech. And so I, I managed these these business relationships and partnerships and and developed them.
1: Wow. I did, I did not expect that. So when, how how do you transition from that to SCIF then?
2: (laughs) Um, so it's, uh, an interesting deal. I'd, as a little kid, I'd read stories about Africa and, and dreamt of hunting Africa at some point in my life. And, uh, my first trip to Africa was right when Cecil the Lion, that story broke yeah. out. Know? And uh, I came home and I'm working in the tech industry with a bunch of crazies that hate hunters, hate hunting, and thinking, what the hell am I doing with my time here? <laughs> and and uh, started just looking, where can I go devote you know this ability that I have to, to build and develop relationships, but also to solve problems? that could contribute to, you know, my kids having the ability to see these same wild places that I've loved. And SEI is kind of the easy answer. And so I started, you know, pursue and I didn't have a background and, and had to, to work pretty hard to convince them that I was going to be a good fit. Wow. So I,
1: when you were at the, I'm, I'm still so thrown off by the tech startups here. When you were at the tech startups, did did you have hounds and so forth at that point in time too? <laughs> yeah,
2: I, uh, I'd, I'd wear my cowboy boots, and my belt buckle, and Wranglers into to work, and I, you know, I was the certainly the odd fit. I, I spend time in Manhattan and and stood out like a sore thumb. But yeah, I was riding. I, I would go to my tech startup job and then to. As soon as I left that, I'd go and and drive over and and start Colts for a guy. So it was just a, a really strange place for me. That's
1: that's it's so funny it, for those of you that don't know Jordan. It's if you see Jordan, it is what it sounds like. He he definitely has the cowboy accent, but it's a cowboy hat, Wrangler jeans, and cowboy boots. I've never seen the guy without that look right there, ever. <laughs> that that is, that is Jordan. So the whole the whole tech startup thing is really throwing me for a loop here.
2: I had to pull the cowboy hat. I couldn't wear that in the office. So
1: did you go go no hat? Because I don't think I've ever seen you without a hat on.
2: All chap. I don't want people to see my hair. Yeah. (laughs) Or lack thereof these days.
1: It definitely happens, lack of, with with kids, especially three young boys like you have. (laughs) The hairline will creep on you.
2: It's it's moving quick.
0: It's moving quick.
3: (laughs) Hey, everybody, I'm a believer in using the best, and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at Gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years, and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, RoughTough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247, or check out our website, worldwide WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com.
1: So uh, let's dig back on on SCI and SCIF. Um, What is the main focus of SCIF?
2: So it is that, you know, I, I would say it's the conservation and education piece, and and today, from a conservation perspective, um, you know there, there's a lot of people that have different ideas on how conservation should be done, and, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it, should that be boots on the ground? What what exactly should that look like? And SCIF has taken the approach of looking at where are threats that that hunters may potentially lose opportunity in. Mm-hmm and is there a lack of of science or backing there that would that would facilitate us losing that and and if so can we go out and and make sure that we have those studies done you know and and i'll use leopards as an example so currently there's a huge gap in in leopard studies and what is the actual population or is it sustainable and so you see these big you know any anti-hunting group it's it's an easy target for yep. them and so we're saying look it's not just that we have people that care about hunting leopards but if you look at safari operators in africa in these remote places if they lost the ability to hunt leopards or if leopards couldn't be imported into the united states It would put them in a position where they can't financially, you know, run their anti-poaching and they probably Mm -hmm. can't keep those areas open for even just a guy that wants to go hunt Buffalo or Plains game. And Mm so we're really working to solve that gap right now. We do the same thing here in the United States. You know, CWD is an incredibly hot topic. And I I don't know that we have this aspiration that we can solve CWD or, or cure CWD. But what we do have is we don't want game agencies to be making decisions based out of fear or speculation. We want game agencies to make decisions on how we manage wildlife based on science. And so we're, we're trying to determine you know, how is CWD being spread Rather than just letting them make those decisions based on speculation, on speculation.
1: So I, I've got one I'm going to bring up. that I gave you no know, heads up on here. So when they, when the agency closed, I don't even remember what agency it was. They recently just closed the um, importation of waterfall from Canada. Right, right when waterfall. I think it was the yep. first weekend when waterfall season opened. They've since opened it back up. But when they closed that, that was a decision by an agency on a on a on a hip shot approach of speculation and saying this is what needs to be done. Right. Yep. With no science, but I mean, there is no science behind it because the ironic one that I tell everybody of this one is you're telling people that you, you shot a goose and you can't bring the goose meat back from Canada to the U S but that same goose is literally, literally flying from Canada to the U S
2: yeah, he's weeks away, days away from from making his way into the states. Anyways, yeah,
1: that that it's was crazy. That was the one. Like I saw that one come across, and I'm like, like just blew my mind on that one. There's some you yeah, look the at Department and go. Department of
2: Agriculture makes that decision. It, that's a, a terrifying on a, scenario on, for a fri- on a
1: Friday afternoon, I believe, right? Because we yep. we we own and operate a, a large waterfall outfitter up in, in Saskatchewan. And it caught us off guard because it was a Friday afternoon. And this is one to where we have hunters in camp and, and they want to bring X number of geese home for the meat and and they want to bring some home to mount. So you've got everything all set up. And then all of a sudden that came across on a Friday afternoon and you're like, what just happened?
2: It, it was crazy. And I, that's the very fear that we have is, you know, with especially in the CWD issue is that you know department of ag makes that decision you know with the idea that they're going to protect you know the north american food supply yeah. chain and and i get it that you know we definitely don't want avian flu running rampant but but it's a decision that's made purely purely off of speculation like there there's no scientific backing there and it's the same thing that you know we're worried about with cwd
1: so can you get into, like, on the CWD one, what projects is SCI helping with or SCIF helping with to get that scientific data to be able to show certain things of, hey, you can't close this down or you can't do that?
2: I think that the, the biggest one that we're trying to, to head off right now is that you're seeing uh, this big push that this is being caused by baiting. You know that cwd mm-hmm. is being spread at these bait sites and that uh, affects a lot of north american deer hunters mm-hmm. wh- white-tailed deer hunters yep. specifically um and so uh, unfortunately there's no data that that would support that today so one we want to, to assess is is that even taking place? is, is the spread happening at those bait sites if it is happening at those bait sites, is there ways to minimize it at those bait sites? So can can we spread corn rather than dump it in a pile? Mm-hmm. Does that minimize it? Like so really trying to determine what is the risk factor there and if it's something that that needs to be addressed. And I think that this is what becomes the tricky spot for SCIF is, you know, potentially does it increase the spread of CWD. sure maybe i don't we don't know the answer to that but if if it if in fact it did then i think that you know hunters have got to to rally around that that science and say look we don't want this to to spread any more than a game agency does exactly you know so that's what i I hate that's the idea of that scenario playing out that way but if but if for some reason it did i think that you know We've all got to take the high road there and, and support that type of stuff. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, exa- uh, I 100% agree. But you guys are actually doing the ones and putting the research in to get the science and the data yes. to actually show what it does. I know, so, um, one of the companies I'm involved with is, is Buck Bourbon, which is a deer attractant that's heavily used in the, the East. And, and talking about uh, feeding or baiting or whatever, it's a it's been a long tradition in the East— for if you if you look at how the land is split up and, and this is one of those touchy subjects in in hunting, compound bow um, crossbow that type of conversation um, baiting or no baiting there, there are people that are on the strict no baiting and there's some that are on on the full baiting and then there's very few that are in the middle if it's one of those types yep. of subjects I, I look at it as obviously I'm a supporter of any any legal, law that you can as a hunter i'm 100 percent supporting that in a a hunter's rights on the on the feeding one i just look in the east there's so many people and so many hunters and and the the tracks that people have to hunt are some are sometimes so small somebody sometimes somebody doesn't have a food source to hunt and if their best way of being successful in the couple days that their schedule allows them to go out outdoors is to hunt over a bait site or a feed site like i support that I hundred percent, hundred percent support that, but then there's some people that are anti baiting or anti feed sites, and they don't want anything to do with it. You know what? I support you at the same time. Like that, you don't, yep. you don't have, you don't have to do it, but don't get mad at somebody that is doing it when it's legal to do it. And somebody has 20 acres, and you're hunting on 300 acres over a cornfield, and that guy that has 20 acres literally is a grown-up woodlot, but that's all he has.
2: Yeah, I think that the the loss of any right or opportunity is a dangerous place for us. We yep. uh, just because it's not how I would want to hunt doesn't mean that it's it's not okay. And I think that when we talk about hunter ethics, you know, people are quick to criticize the ethics of, yep. of others. And ethics are a, a really personal thing. What what's important to someone may not be important to someone else. And I think having some tolerance there and recognizing that your ethics don't have to be the same as everyone else's ethics.
1: That's a very, very good statement. And I, I heard this one a long time ago when I got into the, the hunting industry and, and started support different conservation groups and so forth. In it, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, but you give up an inch, you give up a mile. Totally. So yep. it's, it's that mindset of, okay, an anti hunting group or somebody wants you to, to, to do this and you go, okay, that makes sense. You give that up. Well, tomorrow they're gonna say, I think you should also do this. And you're like, nah, that's so little, let's just get them off our back. So you give up that. Now all of a sudden you look back down that same road five years later and you look at everything that was giving up or that you didn't fight for, and now you're pinned in a corner and the game's almost over. Like that that mindset once I got in and, and this is to see the fights that happen for hunters rights on a daily basis, I fully agree with that. Now, like if you give up an inch, you give up a mile because they're, they're coming for everything. So you have to, you have to fight as a group and don't segregate off and, and have archery guys over here and rifle guys over here and private land over here and public land over here and international hunters over here and sheep guys. Like you can't, when it comes to the big fight, you can't all be segregated off. You got to stand together, united.
2: hundred percent agreed.
1: Yeah, and that's like I I love the public land push, I love it. But I do think some of the origins behind that aren't what people think that they that they are. If you if you don't think that the public land push has segregated people into different groups now. I think you're you're highly mistaken and if you look at the origins of where that public land marketing and campaign kind of came from would raise a lot of eyebrows. Um again, I'm a huge believer in in public land hunting and in not just hunting but fishing and everything that you can use public lands for. It's for everybody to use and but the segregating of saying hey I did this on public land and I'm anti public land hunting is is I, I that's 100% wrong in my book.
2: Yeah, I think that it's it's pretty simple to look at U S politics today as a whole. And and I look at it and I'm disgusted by the polarization that's taken place. And yet somehow within the hunting community, we're, you know, we have seen, and we're continuing to see the the same thing taking place that, you know, they're able to, to drive us apart. And that's an incredibly dangerous place for us. It is.
1: And it's, and I think it's, they may have looked and changed their game plan up and went, you know, we're going to take a little bit longer road here, but ultimately one that will have more success. If we segregate them from a, a, a strong united front and now we've segregated them off, it's a lot easier to, to pick up on things to where a good- yeah, and
2: they can whittle away at the, the easy stuff. Like let's get trapping, you know, yep. get rid of trapping across the, you know, these States or make it almost impossible for someone to trap. And, and most you know, guys that are, our hunters are like, yeah, I'm not going to trap. I don't, I don't care if we lose the, the right to trap. Mm-hmm. It has implications. Yes, it does. Cause now, yeah,
1: it does for sure. Now all those, those animals that were trapped, those populations go high and it starts affecting other, it's just, it's a right on down the list of, of how things are affected. For sure. So yep. how do, in knowing it's tricky, but how do SCIF and SCI work together?
2: Yeah, so you know, as we look at those programs or projects that are are going to, to matter to hunters, we certainly you know seek the the input of of some of those uh, our great SCI allies and and what are the types of fights that they're worried about for, in protecting hunters, right? So we take that into consideration. They they will draw on the science that we have have gathered as, as they're making their case. And lobbying, you know, the actual lawmakers. I, I would say that, you know, we, we work very closely together. It's important that, that the foundation cannot and does not do anything to try to drive membership of SCI. Um, but you'll see the foundation were, are president, were present at convention, you know, very engaged at the annual hunters convention. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that you know, just overall, we work very closely together, but we watch those 501c3 501c4 laws very closely. We do not, we can't afford to have any sort of a, an issue there that they could target us over.
1: Yep. In which you guys are front and center in the crosshairs. So it's one of those things if you have to watch it because you're front and center because of all the important work that you do. Like, I don't even want to imagine the hunting landscape without an SCI there protecting both on the SCIF front of, of getting the scientific data and then the SCI front of not being there to protect us in, in the laws and so forth.
2: Yeah. And I think that if you look at SCI, you know, as a whole, I think that one, there's a lot of people that don't even know who SCI is. And two, I think that there's an awful lot of people that, you know, that are actual hunters that think, those guys are only worried about the international or Africa. Mm-hmm. And it, it is simply not the case. You know, the, the vast majority of our time, effort, and energy is spent defending hunters' rights issues right here in the States from public land access, just like we were talking about a minute ago, mm-hmm. and fighting, you know, aggressively when the government's trying to, to shut down certain places um lead bands all of that type of stuff and so i think you know hunters as a whole need to understand that there's a lot of specialty groups out there you know wild sheep does an incredible job of keeping wild sheep on the mountain rocky mountain elk does an incredible job of of protecting elk habitat ducks unlimited you know all of those groups but but none of them are spending their, their none of their core focus is simply defending hunters' rights to hunt here in the States. And that's who SCI really is.
1: What can you say about the the silent voices and supporters behind SCIF oh, that, that donate so much in in not just not just financially but also their time?
2: Yeah, I um I think when I started pursuing coming over here and working for the organization, you know, my ridiculous ego had me thinking about all of the things that I was going to contribute to the cause. Mm-hmm. And I think that hands down, the the greatest blessing, the greatest um, asset that I have found as I came over here is, you know, the amazing volunteers and donors and, and not just what they're contributing to the cause, but what they have done for me in my own life and, and the relationships that I've developed there. These are people that are, you know, I, who knows what the future holds for me on an, a personal level, um, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, but these are people that are so committed to to the cause and, and they share a vision that I also personally share that I, I have friends that I will have for the rest of my life because of, of this job. It's, it's mind blowing. The time commitment that people give and the amount of money that people are, are willing to, to give. And, and most of the time, I, I actually, I can't think of a single time that they've given that money because it would help them have more hunting opportunity They give that money or that time so that, you and I, our kids and our grandkids, and and whoever comes after that, will have those same opportunities. That's what people care about, and I think that that's been, no doubt, the most inspiring part about my job. That
1: I can say when I when I got into the outdoor industry, I had no idea the behind the scenes support from so many people on the time, energy, and money that was that that's given to 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 allow SCI and SCIF to continue the fight for hunters. That was I was I'm still blown away every every time you you see somebody step up or groups step up when when something's needed like that. I like yeah, you couldn't have worded it better. I'm blown away by that and without those people behind the scenes really doing that, it wouldn't the fight wouldn't be as fun, put it that way.
0: Yeah,
2: there's something today that like I I hear these criticisms of the wealthy hunter and oh, that guy couldn't hunt without a guide. Um, and I, I wish that people understood that oftentimes the, the very people that they are criticizing are the people that are doing so much to protect their own rights to hunt. You know, mm-hmm. and if people understood that correlation, I think that there ought to be a, an awful lot of gratitude, nice. you know, because, I get it. You know, yeah. I, I, I've got lots of buddies that are, are slaving away, trying to make ends meet, and they're hoping to get out on a, a family hunt this year, and it feels easy to criticize someone that, that can pay for a guide or pay for a special hunt, but, but really, like, our rights and, and our abilities are, are continually under threat, and those are the very guys that are protecting us. I agree.
3: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: I agree. So if if I'm going to ask you a very, very vague, very open question, you can look at it from from an SCIF perspective, or you can look at it from just being in the industry, or or just what you've seen. What are the biggest issues facing hunters in the next five years?
2: public perception that again, this is my own personal opinion, yep. uh, but I think public perception is the, the single greatest threat that we're facing.
1: And I had, uh, and, I had Dan Cabella on a couple weeks ago for a podcast and that was the exact same thing that he said. Yeah. It's, it's and it. But truly, if you look at the world as a whole, that's, that's what ever, I mean, turn on the news for seven seconds and, and it's all about public perception. You can look at it and it's, it's, what does the public perception of X issue look
2: like? Yeah, I think it's so dangerous for us because, uh, you know, we look at it, and when the foundation looks at education, a good chunk of what we're looking at is how can we educate the middle ground that, you know, the the person that says he doesn't support hunting, but he also is anti-hunting. I want to make sure that that guy – you know at least has the right information that he can make a decision so that ideally he's not voting against us or or lobbying his legislator against us
1: because he has a wrong a wrong information or a wrong idea like that and yep. so that I'm going to go back a little bit so when when the agency closed the importation of waterfall from Canada to the US with no scientific data Obviously, that headline goes out across everything on a Friday afternoon to where nobody can respond to it or do anything till Monday. So if you look at the perception based on that for people that are in the middle that may not want to spend the time or don't really don't really have an interest in it, they see that news article go importation of water from from cancel stopped because of avian flu. So think about that. Somebody that doesn't doesn't really have the knowledge base on either side really doesn't doesn't care, but they get that that article put in front of them, and they may just read the article. They don't even read the they just read the headline, and now they've absorbed that headline. and And when it comes to an issue two years down the road, that one headline that was put out is that affecting which way they may vote on something?
2: Totally, and it's especially comp- in a post pandemic where a bat shut down our our world for yeah. two years I, yeah i it's hard to fault the guy that's presented with that information for voting against us and if it, he doesn't know better
1: and it may be something that a vote on an importation is something else but that one little piece of information that was put out that was a hundred percent false with no scientific data behind it influences that so, I mean, that's, totally. that's like where I go back and think about that, like literally released on a Friday afternoon decision with what was it? One person that was voted in on that board. The others were there were not elected officials. There was one elected official on there. The other ones were designated like it like the whole thing is just it, it rubbed me the wrong way. It got me irritated. Like, just because, yeah, it's over now, but it'll have that implication may have just affected thousands of people for something else later on down the line.
2: Uh, totally. And and the, those examples, that there's dozens of them today. Yep. Of, of uh, you know, the, the science that that's exists, p- the public, you know, outcry because they don't understand or they've been presented with false information. That's a really ugly scenario to have play out. It is.
1: And it's so tough because it's been presented. Now it's so tough on the other side to go and present the information that shows that that's not scientifically correct. Right. Because the story's already over. It's done and over. Nobody's going to look back and say, hey, that was like how many times you see something in the news that was ran that wasn't correct. And you see the the article that comes out two weeks later, three weeks later that says, hey, we incorrectly said this, but it's smaller. It's not as publicized as what just went out yeah that's just that's why that's why i don't like watching the news
2: no it's a scary scenario and i think that hunters you know this is the danger of social media right is Mm -hmm. that that you can any anti-hunter can type up a scientific article that's totally false and and be pushing that out and We've so, got to be awfully cognizant of it.
1: So, you kind of jumped ahead. So, my one of my new favorite questions that, that I like to ask on here because it gets a wide range. Some people are get, get heated pretty quick. <laughs> and it all deals around social media. So, what, what is your take on social media? Does it hurt, help, or indifferent for the hunting community as a whole?
2: It's a hard question. I think. Um, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier. I think social media has the ability, and I've watched it in my own life, where, you know, I see someone post something, and I'll use hounds, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, they post a picture of them with a, a mountain lion, and I think, how does that guy do that? He's got crappy hounds. or <laughs> that, that It has this ability to divide us because of jealousy, ego, pride, whatever that looks like. And I'm guilty of it at times. Mm-hmm. And so I think is it good or bad? It can be both. I think that it's currently doing more damage probably than it is good.
1: I always I always look at it as one bad post takes million of average hunter post to wipe out. Totally. One one person can do a post that's disrespectful and doesn't cover what the majority of hunters do every day, and that post can cause more damage than everybody else posting for a year. Yep, 100%. And then you start looking at, at some of the people that in the hunting community that have large followings and, and you look at the reasons behind why they do certain things. It's not what it's not what the average hunter does. They're doing certain things to get, to get more engagement, to get people to comment, to raise eyebrows. But, but if you look at it from a whole for a hunter's perspective, that stuff's not good.
2: Totally. If I, I actually think that's a, I hadn't put that piece together that you just said is that, you know, social media can be used to generate income for certain people. And, Mm -hmm. And when that takes place, I don't care whether it's hunting or some other deal, people are willing to to say and do things that they may not actually really believe or, or be willing to do in another scenario. Mm -hmm.
1: But, and it's those ones that are taken by anti-hunting groups and, and run all over like that. Those are the, it's the, as I call the low hanging fruit of stuff that you can grab and run all over and, and see and just say, Hey, this is what's going on. Can you believe that we still allow hunting? And it's one, yep. it's one bad picture that should, never should have been taken, never should have been posted, and it runs like that, and it'll catch millions and millions and millions of views. It's
2: ugly, yeah. ugly scenario.
1: As from when you started, SCIF, to what it is today, the 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 fights and challenges of of when you started versus what it is today, have they have they changed, and if so, which way, or are they still the same? are they still the same challenges, still the same fights that, that the foundation goes on a
2: daily basis that it is to, today than it was when you started? Um, so I'm working on my eighth year and I think, my eighth, eighth year with SCIF. And I think, you know, in, in terms of the organization, that's a very short period of time. Um, I think that the fights are, are fairly similar from when I started, you know, the, the Cecil issue was a a publicly charged emotional issue and we're still seeing those same emotional issues that, that it's easy to, to target. And I, you know, whether it's CWD or grizzly bears in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem or you no, know, take take your pick. Those are our public perception challenges and issues, and I think it's a place that we've really, really got to get dialed in as a group of hunters that care, and being cognizant of of what we're sharing, the stories that we're telling, how we communicate, and I think that ultimately a general sense of complacency may be our greatest enemy here. Mm-hmm. No, I'd fully agree with that.
1: So before before I break off with you, let's talk convention. Where is convention set for this coming year for SEI?
2: Yeah, this is a, a, a giant departure for SEI. We have been in between Reno and Las Vegas for uh, the last fifty years. This year, we are going to be in Nashville and. Really, really, really excited for what Nashville's gonna hold for us.
1: I think I, I think it'll do, pretty darn well for SCI coming off and and for a lot of the for a lot of listeners, two years of COVID really hurt conservation groups, because um, if you think about it, the majority of the the fundraising is done during that convention time period for not just SCI, but wild sheep, all these, all these organizations, all it's done during that convention. Yes. They have fundraising events that happen year, year round, but the majority of them happen in that short convention time period. So by COVID really disrupting when conventions could happen, if they did happen at all travelers in and out has really hurt the conservation groups. So I'm hoping to see a strong, strong showing, not just at SCI in Nashville this year, but for all the other conventions that take place during the winter.
2: I think that's, what's going to take place, Mark. We're the amount of phone calls that I'm fielding is 10 times what, it, what it has been in the past. People are incredibly excited for Nashville. I think our registrations are far exceeding for, for this time frame where they have in the past as well so it's going to be a, a great 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 time
1: and i may be late on the boat but i've never been to nashville myself before so at the convention will actually be my first time in nashville my wife gabby's been there a couple of times but she hasn't taken me along yet once
2: yeah it, i think that it's uh a, a, a pretty amazing place and, and nashville is going above and beyond to kind of roll out the red carpet for us and, and our members i think you know, Vegas is such a big place that mm-hmm. you kind of get lost in the mix. Where I don't think that's going to be the case in Nashville.
1: No, I don't think so. And and so I'd look at. I'm going to try to bring my daughter down there for a couple of days too, just cool. so, just so she gets to see it. And I, and I may look at it wrong, but I look at at Nashville as being yeah, I could bring bring my daughter there. But I always looked at Vegas as being like, nah, eh, not quite old enough to see exactly everything that's that's going on there. So I think that move to Nashville
2: will be great. It's going to be exciting. You yeah. should bring her.
1: No, I, I will for sure. She's uh, – it's like your kids. Once once they get into sports, the, the days that you can break them away to get into the outdoors limits. But I don't see yeah. – like, if you find that balance of, okay, we'll hit a youth season. We're going to hit opening day here. We're going to take a couple of hours off after after school to go out here and balance that like as you know life's all about balance with kids if you can keep it a healthy balance they'll they'll be fully engaged and and my goal is now isn't for shelly to to be hunting 25 days a year right now at the age 13 my my goal with shelly is that when she graduates high school and college is that i have a hunting buddy to go
2: with on on a weekend right yeah yep well perfect. Your, your kids are probably better off than my kids. My kids are being raised by a guy that's still trying to figure out how to balance his own life. So Well, I think you're
1: I think you're doing a pretty darn good job of it, but by the time you have eight hounds, it's tough to balance anything.
2: It is pretty tricky.
1: Throw in some horses and then a little bit of travel that I know you have to do and 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 you have a and I should have mentioned this to start with. Justin has a or uh, Jordan has a much much better other half, much better,
2: far better. Yeah, you, you're spot on. Someone that's willing to to deal with the travel and and hold the fort down. And it's one of those. She there. is pretty incredible. Yep.
1: But that's for for guys like us. We we need somebody strong on the back end to keep us keep us going. Otherwise, it wouldn't be nearly as successful. For sure. Well, yep. Jordan. Thank you, sir, for joining. We're going to have to do this again. Maybe we should actually think fun. about it. We should plan around convention season after after convention it. season so we have a little recap of how everything went.
2: Let's do it for sure. I, I appreciate you having me on and, and asking some fun questions.
1: I ask fun questions, and I try not to ask just fun questions. I try to get some to where I get you kept, caught off guard and, and talking about stuff you really don't want to talk about with people listening. <laughs>
2: Some of those are a little tricky. There's no yeah. question. Yep. No, I
1: found I found those are the, those are the ones that are interested and in, in get people engaged. It's to ask them the questions that that a lot of people won't because they they know what the response will be and sometimes it's not what people want to hear. But I'm a yeah. believer in you know what if if it is what it is and just because we don't want to hear it it's probably best that we hear it because it opens our eyes a little bit more.
2: 100%. I love it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Hey, have a great one, Mark. Yeah.
3: Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.